Good morning, Westway. I'm Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway. And I was just sitting back here looking across the auditorium and thinking there's beauty in the body of Christ. To watch and to listen and to think about each personality that's in this room is so special. There's beauty in the body of Christ. And I'm so thankful that you're here today. In the last couple weeks, we've been going through a series that um, has talked about the prophecies that have been made in the Old Testament times and how they've been fulfilled by the Son of God coming into this world. Many of you know the verse, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That event was prophesied, foretold. John talked about how that event was foretold and spent some time explaining how that when it was foretold, it had the prophecies had a little bit of extra meaning to the people that they were said to at the time. And then Cody talked about how there were those that remembered that prophecy and were seeking him. And he talked about how the Magi came from a long way away seeking Christ, looking to find him. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about prophecy this morning, but God's prophets within their prophecies told about a coming king and someone who would come to deliver them. Matthew, in his writing, refers to the prophecies a number of times. And um, we've, we've talked about those the last couple weeks, and I'm saying all this to say that the Hebrew people and those who lived around them were looking for a coming king. But it might not be the kind of king that we understand today. In fact, it wasn't. It was the kind of king that was like King David. David was a strong king, a powerful king, a mighty king. And David was looked up to by all of the children of Israel. He was a powerful warrior that would rule with an iron fist. And that's the kind of king that the children of Israel were looking for, the Jewish people. The Magi traveled many days seeking to find this king. But this king wasn't welcomed by everyone. In fact, when we read what the Apostle John said about the coming of this king, we have a pretty vivid, if you will, picture painted concerning the birth of this king. No, I'm not talking about the gospel of John in that part of what John, that he wrote in the New Testament, but I am talking about the same event that we've been talking about. You see, in the gospel of John, there isn't a lot said about the birth of Christ. John does talk about how he was incarnated, the son of God, came as a human I'm talking about what John writes when he sees the vision Jesus gave him on the island of Patmos. As we find it 
in the book of Revelation. So if you wanna take your Bibles today and turn to Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to read to you a picture of the nativity scene that you may not think is normal. (laughs) And I want us to think about this picture that is painted here. But before we read this, I wanna caution you not to get caught up in the symbolism of John's writings here. Although it is the same nativity scene that you, well, maybe it isn't the same nativity scene that you have setting at home or you might see out here in the foyer, but it is the same story. Revelation chapter 12 is where we're going. Starting with verse one, it says this. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. You have that on your mantle at home? (laughs) Is that the picture that you have on your wall or in your mind even of what the Christmas story is about? One of the things that I do want us to think about is, is this is a very vivid picture of the humanness of what happened, the physical side of what happened. When Mary was there in the stable, she was giving birth, just like all of you moms out there have had to do. And it was painful. It hurt. And the reason is because of that dragon who years and years and years before was in the garden tempting the woman, and she gave in to the temptation, and because of it, God said, there will be pain. It will hurt. Mary didn't escape that there in that stable. From the very beginning, Satan has been trying to thwart God's plans. If anyone was listening to all of the prophecies about the coming king, it's Satan. And he thinks he has a perfect player in place to stop this event from happening. Cody talked a little bit about the pers- that person this last week. The Magi had come to Jerusalem to seek direction in finding the king of the Jews. They went to the ruler of the area because who would know better about what's going on than the one in control of the area, or so they thought. So Herod the Great, as he was referred to, was a twisted and sick ruler. 
He obsessed, he was obsessed with power and wasn't going to let anyone challenge him for that power. According to Josephus, a well-known historian of the day, Herod had already killed several of his own sons, as well as one of his wives and his mother-in-law. Some of you may have considered that one before, I don't know. Fearing that they would take over his kingdom. Wow, this guy was a little bit psycho. Only a little, yeah. A little nervous about what was going on in his kingdom. And he didn't trust anyone, not even his own sons or his wife or his mother-in-law. So he was probably a pretty good person for Satan to come alongside and say, hey, guess what? Guess what's happening? Also, Herod was nearing his deathbed. He was physically sick. He was mentally sick, and he was paranoid. A savage man at this point in his life. It is little wonder, as Cody mentioned last week, Herod was troubled when he discovered that his, this infant was to be the king of the Jews. It's also little wonder that all of Jerusalem was troubled with Herod. Not out of sympathy for him, but out of fear of how he would respond. They knew all too well his reputation. What if the news was true? What if there was a baby born that would be king of the Jews? What will Herod do? If he killed members of his own family, what's he gonna do now? Well, you know what happens next. Herod, concerned about losing the throne, called a special meeting with the leaders of the Jewish community and asks them where this Messiah was supposed to be born. Isn't it interesting how that Satan isn't afraid to come right into the church, right into the leaders of the church and seek his information so that he might do things with it. Can you see how Satan, the dragon, was waiting to devour this baby? He loves to use the seeds of doubt to motivate people. He loves to get us thinking that if we allow this thing to happen, it's gonna change our lifestyle in a way we might not like. You see, he's working on us too, isn't he? There are things in our lives that we know that we should do. There are things in, in our lives, uh, changes that we should make, and we know we should. But if we do, how's that gonna change everything else around us? How's that gonna change my job? How's that gonna change the way I look to those that I'm next to in school? How's that gonna change my environment? Am I willing to make that change? See, that's what Satan does. He gets down inside our mind and he thinks, uh, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I wanna stop the change that Jesus can make in your life. 
He plants a little doubt, a little worry, a little fear in our minds. He makes us question where we are and what we are going through in almost every area of our lives. God is encouraging us to live for him and honor him with our actions, with our language, with our lives. Even in the tough times, when problems arise, Satan wants us to try to solve these perceived problems on our own. He wants us to focus on the bad instead of looking toward the good. Fortunately, the Apostle John's account of the vision he saw doesn't end where I stopped reading. God doesn't want us to get stuck in our own self-pity. He has an answer to our troubles. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. Beginning with verse five, it says this. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Woohoo! God wins! He stops Satan. He protects the child and cares for the woman. There's a ton of things that are happening in these two verses. Well, let's go back to Matthew and his account where Cody left off last week. In Matthew chapter two, beginning with verse 13. And as you turn your Bibles back to Matthew chapter two, and verse 13, let me remind you that Cody shared last week the Magi followed the star from where Herod was at. They followed the star to Bethlehem, the city of David. They were filled with joy as we sung about this morning when they found the child. They gave of themselves and then they presented their gifts to the Christ child. And God warns them in a dream not to return to this Herod. And they returned to their own country by another route. You see, God protected them too. In Matthew chapter two, beginning with verse 13, it says this. After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Well, here's another one of those places. Uh, I want you to think about this, though. How many of you have been sleeping and you've been woke up in the middle of the night by an angel? <laughs> Sometimes we wonder. <laughs> I went to camp a lot of years, and there were times when I was woke up in the middle of the night, but it wasn't by angels. They were telling me to get up, but it wasn't an angel. Joseph knew who this was. There was no question in his mind. He didn't hesitate. He got up, he took his wife and the little baby, and they fled to Egypt. They got out of Dodge. 
They knew that Satan was trying to stop what God wanted to happen. And so here we are. This is another of those places in Matthew's writings that we find him pointing out the fulfillment of prophecy. You see, Hosea the prophet had used this phrase, I called my son out of Egypt, in reference, when Hosea said it, to the children of Israel, remember? They were in captivity in Egypt for years and years and years, and God sent Moses to them to um, free them from captivity. And so in their minds, when Hosea was writing, they were probably thinking that. But God had another purpose for that phrase. And Matthew knew it, and he indicated that this too is fulfilling what God has planned. Joseph was willing to do what God told him to do through the angel. Mary went with him. The baby went with them. And they stayed there until the danger was gone. If you turn back to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, you'll see that it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. There's an analogy going on here between the children of Israel and Christ. And that analogy continues to Christ's body. There's beauty in the body of Christ when we live for him. Do you see that? Do you see that connection throughout time, how God's plan was applicable all the way through in the same way. Matthew, knowing whom he was writing to, points out that this child that God loved was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He also shows here that the things that happened to the children of Israel point to the coming of this Savior. The prophets that God spoke through gave the message, and now those things were being fulfilled. I think it's important to note in all of this that God is still in control. For those who were seeking to honor him, he was protecting and guiding them. He warned the Magi to go a different way home, and he warned Joseph and Mary to get out of Bethlehem until the danger was gone. In the same way, for those who seek him and choose to honor him, he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 2, continuing on with verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, where it says, a cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Wow. What a hard message 
there. Herod was what? Furious. Can you imagine how he must have felt? He thought he had found a way to take care of this problem, this threat to his kingdom. Remember the way John writes about it in Revelation? The dragon was there waiting to devour the child as soon as he was born. The image that comes to my mind when I read about Herod's being furious is kind of like a little two-year-old child that has just had a birthday and received this awesome toy to play with. Can you picture that in your minds? And then that little two-year-old's older sibling, a year or two older, comes and sees this awesome toy and thinks, oh, that's awesome, but why didn't I get one? And so he grabs the toy or she grabs the toy and runs off with it. And what's the little two-year-old doing? Screaming, Mom! (laughs) They're furious. There's selfishness in that picture. Now we don't blame the two-year-old because they're little. And we probably don't blame the three or four-year-old because they're not much older. But that same emotion is in us today. Jealousy, envy, and mine. It's mine. I want. As we read through scriptures, we see this happen time and time again. Cain and Abel is a great example. They gave their sacrifices, and God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. And how did that make Cain feel? Furious. So angry that he slew his brother. How about Pharaoh and Moses? Moses comes to ask to have the children of Israel released. And Pharaoh says, they're mine. I won't give them up. And God has to use 10 plagues to convince him and his children that it's okay to leave. And babies died because of it. Isn't that interesting? How about King Saul and David? Saul was the first king that got appointed. And Saul got proud of what he had and didn't follow God. And God says, I've got another one to replace you. And that's David. And how did Saul feel about David? He tried to kill him over and over. There are others. The religious leaders and the apostles and the disciples. I think of Stephen. He was serving God and telling others about Jesus, the Savior. And it was the religious leaders that put him to death. And who was there standing as they piled their coats to get ready to stone him? A man called Saul. It's interesting because Saul was on the way to Damascus a little bit later and Jesus appeared to him on the road and all of a sudden Saul realizes, whoa, he really is the Savior. 
and he repents and is baptized and continues to follow the Savior. I put him in there because I want you to realize that no matter where we are in our life, no matter what we're doing, no matter how bad we feel about what we're doing, or no matter how convinced that it's right, when we come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is, it's not too late to change. Is it? No matter what we've done. Saul was there accusing the Christians of the new way that they were teaching. And traveled out of his way to find more that he could persecute and put in prison and sentenced to death. And God said, you need to know better. You need to look at the true light. And so, when we find ourselves feeling furious because we aren't getting our way, we had best pause and look to Christ through his word and ask him to examine our hearts and shed his light on the situation. But deep down inside, we don't want to do this because we don't want to be reminded that I'm being selfish. So often, the ones we are most furious with are those who are closest to us. That old red dragon has power that is far-reaching if we let him. So Herod, in his furious state of mind, chose to send his soldiers to kill all the boys in that little town of Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Matthew is quick to point out that God knew this was the Satan, was what Satan was going to try to do. We know this because the prophet Jeremiah had spoken about it many years before. Take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, if you will. If we look back to Jeremiah 31, 15, we see almost word for word what Matthew wrote. Jeremiah 31, And verse 15, a cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are gone. Many of you remember who Rachel was. Rachel was the wife of Jacob, who was renamed Israel if you will, the mother of the children of Israel. See the prophecy there that Jeremiah is making? I don't even want to think about what it must have been like for that little community. Bethlehem wasn't a very big town. And soldiers were instructed to kill the children who were two years old and younger. And maybe that was a lot of children, but more than likely it was only a few. But the effect of any child yanked from their home and killed by a government would definitely be felt by the whole community. And there would be weeping and deep anguish. By quoting from this passage in Jeremiah, Matthew probably knew that his audience would know the rest of what God had said through Jeremiah. But before we go back and look at that, 
How do you suppose those moms felt? You suppose they were furious with the government? I would have been. In my Bible, the heading just before verse 15 in Jeremiah says this, Rachel's sadness turns to joy. In verse 15, did you see much joy? (laughs) I didn't. So we need to keep going and, and find the rest of the story there. In verse 16, it says this, but now this is what the Lord says. Do not weep any longer, for I will reward you, says the Lord. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. I have heard Israel saying, you disciplined me severely, severely, like a calf that needs training for the yoke. Turn me again to you and restore me, for you alone are the Lord my God. Did Saul need disciplined? <laughs> yeah. How many times have you needed to be disciplined? Has it always felt good? Shake your head, no. (laughs) You can admit that. In fact, it may have made you furious, especially when you knew that you needed it. Jeremiah goes on here. Verse 19, I turned away from God, but then I was sorry. I kicked myself for my stupidity I was thoroughly ashamed of all I did in my younger days. Is not Israel still my son, my darling child, says the Lord? I often have to punish him, but I still love him. That's why I long for him and surely will have mercy on him. Set up road signs, put up guideposts, mark well the path by which you came. Come back again, my virgin Israel. Return to your towns here. How long will you wander, my wayward daughter? For the Lord will cause something new to happen. Israel will embrace her God. What's the new thing that's going to happen? God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son. Knowing what he was going to have to go through before the children of Israel, who by the way is us now, would embrace him. I'm so glad God loves me in this way. I'm so glad he disciplines me. I'm so glad he gives me road signs in his word that direct me on the right path. I'm so thankful for the body that he surrounds me with to encourage me and lift me up. I am so thankful that Jesus was foretold and that he was found And yes, that he makes me furious sometimes. And if you would, 
we would invite you to come back on Christmas Eve and find out how Jesus frees us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your love is so great that we cannot comprehend it. It's beyond our understanding. Your plan is so amazing that it spans the time from the beginning to the end. And we must sit back and wonder. And yet, you give us your word to guide us, to discipline us, because you love us. And so, Father, if we're in that moment of feeling furious because what we're hearing and what we're seeing and what we're understanding doesn't fit in our thinking, I pray that we'll stop and think again and look a little deeper and find your light, your son, who wants to guide us day in and day out so that someday we can spend eternity with you. Thank you, Father, for that kind of love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.